You are listening to a podcast from The National. Welcome to The National's Business Extra podcast from our newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. Weekly, we provide insight and additional analysis on the biggest business, economic and finance stories affecting us here, as well as the wider region and the world. I'm very happy to say my guest today is an active investor and entrepreneurial leader with a track record of growing companies in the MENA region. He also has a regular weekly column in our business section, providing insightful commentary on the biggest news of the day, as well as on topics close to his heart, such as corporate governance and the ins and outs of trading or financial markets. Sabah al-Banali, welcome. Thank you. It's good to have you here. Um, this week's column, um, which everyone will be able to read on the national Uh, You you talk about a subject that's been pretty much in the news lately, which is Bitcoin. And there has been a bit of toing and froing about some kind of reform of the way Bitcoin is um, actually uh, processed and transacted in the technical uh, space. But for you, uh, you look at something else, which is why would anyone actually invest in Bitcoin, you know, these so-called cryptocurrencies. And you have an interesting take on it. Um, so, you know, I, m- without putting words in your mouth, um, maybe you want to tell me why nobody understands Bitcoin. Well, I wouldn't characterize it as nobody understands it. <clears throat> what I like to do is when we look at issues such as Bitcoin, uh, and, and I try to f- see where there might be a gap in the discussion. So I think the discussions about the technology, uh, the blockchain, uh, cryptographic uh, protocols, uh, and what they might mean to society are important. But in terms of a financial investment, you really need to look at it as, as how it relates to the financial markets. So if you start uh, looking at Bitcoin as a technology breakthrough, you're not going to get the value. This is not about technology. It's about a currency. It's a, it's a, it's a financial instrument. And, and a more relevant starting point from the investment point of view would look at how currency markets works and how actual uh, 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 national currencies or sovereign currencies, um, how, how, what affects them. So once you look at what affects all, uh, a, a sovereign uh, currency or, or, or a physical currency? Uh, there's a list uh, which I, I discuss in detail, but it includes things like interest rates, inflation, GDP differentials, and so on. Um, you, you, you quickly realize, because there isn't an economy behind Bitcoin, that a lot of these factors that, that um, influence the price of of, of, of uh, conventional currencies don't exist. I mean, is this an evolution of currencies, like from going back from when there was a gold standard to then going off the gold standard and it becoming um, more of a, an, a non-backed um, sort of idea to something now where we have a cryptocurrency that doesn't even have, as you said, an economy behind it? Or is this a case of we've mislabeled it as a currency? It's it it it's a currency if if it if it becomes legal tender and peop, enough people adopt it as as if you will a store of value. So the the currency, if you look at at the dirham, why does it have value? It is accepted as 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 a as a currency within the UAE, uh, backed by by the full faith of government. What that really means is they enforce it as as, a, as legal tender. They don't mean that they they, they back the value. So it represents, if you will, the economy. Now, what does Bitcoin currently represent? 
there's a transaction. It's an IOU. It's like pieces of paper. Uh, and if you trade pieces of paper, what is the value of it if others don't accept it? So until others accept it, and then it will become backed by a currency. So this could become, in time, a, a global currency. But right now, if you look at Bitcoin, I believe it's the maximum number of, of, of Bitcoins is it's 21 million. You're, you're, that cannot represent a, a, a global currency. And so without an economy, about the only thing that, that will affect it is speculation or deflation. And, and, and this is what you're betting on, really. Uh, there, is, there is no bet on the technology uh, behind it. I mean, some of the critics of all this excitement around Bitcoin, they point out um, you know, two, two, two data points, if you like. First of all, that the average Bitcoin transaction costs about 83 US cents to execute, which means that on the micropayment level, it's not practical. And then secondly, you compare it to, say, Visa, which handles 2,000 transactions per second. Um, there are seven transactions per second on Bitcoin. And this is what I was referring to, some of the, the, the shakeup of Bitcoin, was people were complaining that they, they weren't able to process enough of these Bitcoin transactions. There weren't enough people out there doing it. There isn't enough of an infrastructure. As it gets more and more popular, these problems tend to come up. Now, they've come up with some kind of workable solution to move forward to increase the scale of Bitcoin. But as you pointed out, it's, in the end, a limited... Uh, number of coins that can be out there, which means that essentially we're in a deflationary tract at the moment, unlike the opposite, as you mentioned in your column, where we've been in an infl supposedly an inflationary track for the dollar or other major currencies, even though inflation isn't showing its face at the moment. The amount of money being that has been pumped into the system over the last few years has been unprecedented. Yeah, the quantitative, the quantitative easing programs. So <clears throat> I'll, I'll leave the technology again aside uh, because that, as you say, is well discussed. I, I just feel that the idea of, of how this fits within financial markets um, doesn't, uh, has not been adequately addressed. And, and whenever I see these discussions, everyone keeps talking about it's a great technology, it will be adopted. The issue is not whether or not the technology will be adopted. The, the question is, as, as a financial instrument, how does it integrate into the financial markets? That is not being addressed. And when we say, you know, it's about speculation, it's either speculation or it's deflation. So it's actually, you know, quite a difficult um, investment instrument to actually forecast. Because when you talk about speculation, we have no way of, of knowing, you know, whether the current excitement will continue to be sustained. And also, we've all already been through at least one significant crash in the price of Bitcoin. At one point, I think before, a few weeks ago, it was up to about $3,000 per Bitcoin. And then it halved pretty quickly over some negative sentiment. And so if somebody is putting their, their actual financial future on something like this, it's more, as you point out, it's more than risky, right? It's more than a wager. It's something. It's something beyond that. It's almost a shot in the dark. It would seem. It it it, it is. I mean, really, what what you're playing on is the, what's called the greater fool theory, that you might be a fool to go in, but the, there's a greater fool down the road. Um, I, I think I think where you when it'll hit the brick wall is when it becomes difficult to, to trade. The liquidity will go away when, when the, the price of Bitcoin or, or the exchange rate of Bitcoin becomes much, much larger. So at the rate it's going, maybe in a year or two years, it's $100,000 per Bitcoin. So you lose all these small speculators that, that, that got it going. And, and you're going to start finding it hard for someone to, to, to 
write you a check. And then, and then the minute that starts happening, it'll have it'll be equivalent to a run on a bank, and and it'll it'll cascade very very quickly. So um, it's it's a punt if you want to if you're trading human psychology as as some people do around uh, uh, other other. Uh, uh, even equities, um, then maybe that makes sense. I don't know, but but it is not a technology play. Have we been? I mean, we've been in an era of low in, of low yields, really, and we, everyone's been chasing chasing yields where we can find them. Um, and we've had an un, again an unprecedented run on in equities recently, despite all the the, the 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 fundamentals and data out there telling us that this shouldn't be happening. And I wonder if Bitcoin is just a sort of byproduct of that need to have some kind of yield in a very low yield world. Well, Bitcoin doesn't yield, right? It's it's capital gains, right? And interest rates paid on it are not a real yield. So, and, and as the price goes up, whatever the interest rate is, it, 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 it effectively, as a percentage, uh, drops. Bitcoin is, is basically a, 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 a what, what's called, there's a book, uh, Ex- Extraordinary Delusions and, and, and the Madness of Crowds. It's a mania. It's, it's no different than what happened in the internet bubble, uh, what happened uh, even in our equity markets back in 2005, where you see stocks double you know if a stock doubles you're you're assuming that earnings are going to double and earnings nowhere near double so i i i do not believe that it is a yield play it's it's really uh, a mania uh, and and it's it's the, the the speed it goes up the greed factor not i don't say that in a malicious way or maybe it's the hope factor i should say um can sometimes take control of common sense or overshadow common sense. So Bitcoin is not a technology <clears throat> play, and certainly it's not a currency as we understand it in the norms of what moves a currency. And essentially what you're saying, this is Bitcoin's popularity is very much a product of human psychology when it comes to markets. And so by that definition, when things go bad, they're going to go bad pretty fast, and no one's going to be able to stop it. Bitcoin is the financial market equivalent of a boy band. It starts getting cool. No one knows why it started to get cool. Because it's cool, more people get get in, more and more and more. And then until too many people are in, next generation says, that's passe. I'm not going to be like all these 12 years old, old, I'm a young 10 year old, and I'm going to go with the new boy band. <laughs> That's what I see happening. But, but, but by that example, as soon as my parents get into Bitcoin, then that's the time to sell. I, believe it or not, someone asked me about Bitcoin. And he said, when should I get out? I said, the minute your mother asks you. I got out of the of the of the uh, uh, equity stock markets at the end of 2005. When my mother asked me about, I won't name the the equity, but it was the highest flying equity. She asked me about that. I just shut down every position. There are many of these stories um, over the years, whether they're true or not. There was the the famous one of the Wall Street crash where um, I forget which which of the robber barons was having their shoe shined, and the shoe shine boy said, um, "You know what stocks are you in?" And then he immediately went and sold. and And the dot com bubble, plenty of, of of people have said they sold as soon as they saw how how widespread it had become. Yeah. But I mean, isn't isn't there always an exception? I mean, at some point, why shouldn't an instrument become mainstream? Or- Again, we're not talking about mainstream. So what will happen, 
and and I'll, let's use the internet bubble. The internet bubble, <clears throat> uh, massive amounts of, of funding were pumped into these uh, internet companies and technology companies, and massive amounts disappeared. But what came out of that are some really great companies. And, and the, the problem with, with any innovation, it could technology, it could be uh, uh, biomedical, it could be anything, uh, is that you don't know what's going to hit. It's, it's low probability, high payoff. And the only way to do anything is to actually be in all of those. Now, the, the best way to do it would be if you create a population fund and that population fund goes into everything rather than this guy goes into this fund, that guy, because then they're concentrated. So if you want to create a, a national population fund that, that, that goes into these innovative um, um, uh, companies, then, then that makes sense. But on, on a per-company basis, it's, the risk is too high. So the question becomes, how do you capture, you know, 1,000 of these uh, companies? So in a column last week, um, and, and I mentioned this because it, I, I'd like to kind of give our audience a sort of insight into how you think. Um, you talked about Chelsea Football Club, part of the English Premier League, um, and how they are financial innovators, which really I found contrarian because given the the state of, of football economics, if you like, they seem to defy all rules of rational thinking. Um, so yet you, you compared the way Chelsea deals with, with some of their, their young footballers in the same way that is sort of a leaseback um, that a car rental company might do based on future value and, 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 and such things. So how do you arrive at these, at these thoughts? So these things that kind of wake you up in the middle of the night, or, or, or how do you get there? <laughs> when it goes to Chelsea, I, I I don't know. I was some some tweet came up and it said leasing a player, and someone was upset about the players being leased, and and I, I said players being leased. I know what leasing is, but but not leasing, lending. Sorry, I know what lending is. So I click, and there's this this, this great video, and and I, I YouTube, and I, I look at it, and like this 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 is leasing. You know, and and they're describing it in a you know horror of of ethics way, and and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking this is brilliant. This is win-win for everybody. And and if you start using the technology of, of finance, when I say technology, I mean the, you know the the structure of finance, thinking about finance, you start being able to label under everything and understand where the value comes. So a lot of it has to do with what's called residual value, the value of the player at the end. And and sure, they might not be paying, get paid a lot when they're being leased out, but at the end of it, they've trained, they've developed when they might not have, and they and they end up, and they end up commanding, you know, if they're good, if they're not good, they had a chance. And it's not, they end up commanding. Um, one case, I saw, Chelsea bought one guy for 150,000, lent him out seven times, and then, and then sold him for 10 million. Uh, and, 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 that's, and that's just amazing because partnerships, business partnerships are like that. You don't get paid, you don't get paid, and then in the end, bam, you get paid a lot. So, so, I was just surprised that Chelsea stopped there. You can do things like what's called a sale and lease back. So a lot of schools, they don't need to own the real estate. So they sell the real estate, and then it's leased back to them. So someone with a lot of cash who wants a yield, for example, will buy it and then, and then lease it back. They get a yield, and, and the school doesn't tie up all its funds. Now, imagine you have these strong clubs, okay? They have a lot of cash, but they don't have players to lease out. There's another club that needs to free up some cash, and it has these good players they want to keep. 
they sell it. It's a single contract. You sell it to the rich club, and the rich club just leases it back. It's good for 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 the uh, financially weaker but 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 professionally stronger club, and it's good for the financially stronger but perhaps not 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 so uh, uh, strong professionally club. So you can actually make uh, football far more, I think, um, 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 uh, efficient and effective if these ideas are extended and and not thought of in terms of. Uh, oh, this doesn't feel fair. Just apply finance to it, and that will tell you what's fair. Because once you you get the correct transfer pricing and you understand this is transfer pricing, and you look at it, you, you you need to discount the cash flow. You can't just say, oh, look, he's been here seven years. Okay, what would he be doing otherwise? And he has a chance of developing, and, and all these players think they can develop. So I I just. I just find it interesting looking around and and sometimes it mostly I'm looking in the business and finance world but sometimes things outside of that catch my eye and and I see them reinventing the wheel and I, and I think you take a few ideas you can immediately apply them for example if you're lending out you should give a discount to a club that is known to look after its players better mm-hmm. versus a, <laughs> a club that doesn't because that's you know you're looking after your 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 asset um, like a good credit score, basically. Cre- yeah, right? basically. So, so there's 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 lots of, of 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 ways to do it, and I think it actually can close the gap between. I, I know that there's there's this big issue of some clubs have a lot of money, others don't. But but it's not about the money. It's it's just about the funding. You know, frankly, I don't. I can see investment f- uh, uh, funds created, and they hold players. Who then they lease out, you know, and and take away just like we as businesses we take away a lot of our our funding and financing needs, uh, 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 needs and give them to banks to look after, give them to, to private equity, asset managers. Why not do that to the, with the uh, football clubs? I think it's a uh, it's a it's a great idea. I mean, our regular listeners and and readers will know you uh, for the last three years, almost to the day. In fact, you've been writing for the National. Um, but th- before that, even um, you know, you've been you know, you didn't just emerge um, from a c- cocoon like <laughs> um, you know to write for us. You've you've been you know you've had a long uh, career, um, and and you did touch upon that in one of your columns. Um, the way you said you started out at the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority, like a lot of bright minds um, in the UAE do start out at. And um, you, you felt that was a, an important uh, experience for you uh, to see the inner workings of, of Adia at, at that formative stage of, your, of, your, uh, of you starting out. I spent 10 years in the state. So I, I, I studied there undergraduate at Princeton, and then I got my PhD at Columbia. So that's six years in New York. And, and you, you, these are your formative adult years. So we, uh, in, in the Gulf, not just the Emirates, we, we, we tend to shy away from confrontation or rocking the boat in our personal lives, our social lives. And unfortunately, which is, I think is a great thing, but unfortunately we've transferred that over to, to, the, to the business and, and, and we're, we're a bit too docile. I went into Adia and I was very excited. They're the ones who called me. It took as with everything, it was taking a little time to finish the paperwork, but I was required to show up every day, 9 to 2, uh, and then 5 to 8. And, and I, I was overall loving it, but it didn't feel the right fit for me. Um, and I think, I think in, in, in something, in, and I think it is because I spent such time with the, the States and I, and, and, I, and, I, and I interacted with the Americans and who, who will just take decisions. 
I decided to leave and, and go work for Union National Bank. And, and I kid you not, I was on the trading floor. I got a little Masafi carton box. I was putting my stuff. And, and the, the other traders were, 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 were running a pool on whether this was a show or, or I was actually leaving it. And, and then I left. <clears throat> I left in good terms. Uh, there's, there's nothing, you know, it's, it's a great institution. And, 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 and at that time, it wasn't, it wasn't right for me. I went to uh, Union National Bank. And I think that was such an important move because I was petrified of moving. You know, I've just been here two months. What are people going to say? What if it's the wrong thing? A huge and risk it, it, at that it, age. It was a huge risk, but, but it, it's one that paid off in the sense that I, I, I learned to continually evaluate what, what's, what's going on. I think that's, that's important. I think too, ma too many, too many, um, too many of the people I see uh, just see it as I get a paycheck, that's that. And, and that's not life. Life isn't about getting money. Life is about being challenged, about, about creating value, you know, uh, and, 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 and I think breaking that taboo was, 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 was wonderful for me. And, uh, I mean, just to touch upon education outside of the UAE, um, and there's so many options now, perhaps not as many options <clears throat> as there were when you went to university, but still the value of that kind of education, the value of going to a Princeton, going to a Columbia, um, is it still sort of resonating with you now, many years later? You mean in terms of value accrued to me? Yes. Oh, yes. It's, 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 there's, there's, the, there's, there's the infamous Princeton alumni network. I mean, well, first of all, the credibility you get with anyone when you, you say, I went to one or the other, but two Ivy League schools. Is, but, but, the, uh, uh, but if you look at the Princeton alumni network, uh, I kept saying, where is it? Because it's, it's very famous in the States. You see, you have to wait until you're 40. I hit 40, and everyone suddenly became a managing director and CEO. That alone, you get calls back and forth. That, that, that network is, is, is very important. But even just, just being in one of the top universities, I mean, I learned many things. I, I, I learned, for example, my, my work discipline. When I went there, I thought I had a good one. And no, you don't. <laughs> and you have to. I mean, you suddenly, it's, and it's not just um, um, time put into work. It's planning it. You have to pl be planning three, three, four weeks in advance. You have to, you have to uh, get good at it, uh, 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 be it studying or so on. So, so that, 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 that pushed me a lot. And, and I think um, uh, uh, it, 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 there was so many things I learned from that and in particular, it's not just being at the university. I think it's important that I was alone, not with a group of other friends or Emiratis who went over, because too many, in my opinion, go over as a group and don't interact. And, and quite frankly, I learned, I learned as much living in New York and interacting with New Yorkers as I did in, 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 uh, in, in being uh, uh, in, in, in the academic setting. And that independence that you, you seem to have, have gotten from that experience would have helped later on when you put yourself in, in more sort of challenging situations. You um, went, went outside of the UAE to work in, elsewhere in the region in Saudi Arabia. You worked with international... Bahrain and Saudi Arabia. Bahrain, Saudi Arabia. You, you worked with international institutions. Um, you have run businesses. You've had to turn around businesses. And I wonder 
if you hadn't had that experience early on and also then taking that risk to move jobs very early, whether you would have been as ready to do the other things that you've done? When you actually are investing your own money, when you are uh, turning around companies, when you are starting companies, the fear doesn't go away. And, and, and it, it's not just risk. Someone who takes risk and doesn't feel fear is basically a, a sociopath and should not be touching money. Um, and, and the fear doesn't go away. You just have to not let it overwhelm you. And the best place to go to not let fear overwhelm you is New York City. <laughs> that's, that's a daily experience right there. So, yes, I, I, I think that, that, that risk-taking is, is, has been one of the greatest uh, uh, values. And, and I'm seeing it more valuable today because when things are going well, you don't need to take risk. But when, when a company's in trouble, you actually have to take quite a lot of risk to turn it around. And, and if you don't know how to, you know, it's, it's a problem. Well, I, I want to mention some of the, the columns that you've written over the last three years. And, and one that always stuck with me included the phrase of learnt hopefulness. Mm. And it sort of touches upon your last point, which is in economic cycles, businesses here don't always do what is necessary to get through them. They don't always take risks at the right time. They sit around um, waiting for what they expect to be something to catch them, which is usually the government. Yeah, I... I I, I, I think, you know, I, I don't want to get too much into policy issues and, and why they do, but I think that, you know, be it a government or even be it a parent with their child, where is the line between support and crutch? And and I don't think it's it's a line. It's just, you know, that it's just a continuum. One starts increasing, the other starts decreasing. And 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 and, and what, what happens with our, our learned hopefulness is I I don't think it so much as stops people from making decisions, it's how they justify not taking decisions. So they just say, Oh no, oil will go back up, oil will go back up. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but you cannot do nothing assuming that, that oil goes back up. Oh, you know, uh, the government will step in. Oh, you know, Abu Dhabi will use ideas. Uh, how do you know? You know, and 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 to me, the decision makers. I mean, I don't know, but from what I see, they they want to be supportive, but they, they don't want to parent you. You know, and and so if you infantilize yourself, I, I don't see how that's positive in any way, and and, and there's no winners there. And in terms of the broader outlook at the moment, I mean, do you have a view on where we are in the economic cycle at the moment? I mean, there have been people feeling very bearish of late, but I think there's probably signs for optimism. Certainly in your writing, you talk about, you know, for example, the Souk Amazon deal this year being, you know, a benchmark for, for where we want our CEOs and companies to be, as well as the amount of entrepreneurial spirit that's out there that needs to be um, fostered and, and supported. So I, in terms, I'll, I'll, I'll go with my outlook, and if you want to go deeper, you tell me, you let me know. I don't see us in a cycle. I see us, this is a, a, a tectonic shift, and, and it is not a cycle. Um, and I see what, what's happening. I see that the economy has to contract to a size that is commensurate with oil because 
whatever, you know, I've heard this number bandied about two-thirds of the economy is not based on oil. It might not be based on oil, but I, I, I can almost guarantee that the correlation with oil is one. And, and so the, these contractions, this contraction has to happen. Once this contraction happens and there, there's going to be a lot of pain, I believe what would be left will be more efficient, more effective, and that will go back to, 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 to strong growth, growth, but from a smaller base. But there are some very important points that, that, that have to happen, and, 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 and for, 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 for us to get through this. And, and it includes actually creating a market uh, uh, that, that's based on free market capitalism. Um, we'd like to see the, the large uh, investments, you know, that are stable to be exited and funds, you know, uh, uh, to, to, to help uh, startups. They're, they're the foundation. And I'm very uh, um, uh, uh, optimistic, uh, especially given, you know, the recent five-minute license announcement from, from Dubai, you know, that we are seeing that. So I believe that that, 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 that sees that that's going to put us on the forefront of, of, of uh, rebounding very quickly. But this, there is going to have to be a contraction which will lead to, to, some, uh, to, to some pain. Sabah al-Banali, thank you so much for being with us. Fascinating as always. Thank you. Uh, you can read Sabah's column at thenational.ae, of course. Uh, remember, for fuller coverage, you can also read, watch and listen on The National's website. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to this and our other shows on iTunes. I am Mustafa Al-Rawi. Join us again next week. Thank you.